0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Hey, wonderful to be with you today. My name's uh, Andy. During the week, I teach Old Testament at Ridley College, and look after our uh, small kids. I'm married to Steph, who's on staff here. It's a great pleasure to be invited to open God's Word. Why don't we pray before we get into it, uh, as we open God's Word. Father God, thank you so much uh, that you have spoken to us. You have not left us in the dark, wondering what you are like and what you want from us, but you have revealed yourself to us in your son Jesus, in his uh, message to us. I pray that we would have open minds, open hearts, and we'd be prepared to listen and change. I pray that for myself and for everyone gathered here today and online. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are coming. This is our second last installment in our series, The Vine, the Trellis, and the Crow. Uh, and I've, I've been loving this series. It's kind of a different thing for us. Normally, we sort of preach through a book of the Bible, uh, but here we're taking this more sort of step back and think about the topic of our rule of life, taking stock uh, of the attitudes and the practices and the rhythms which provide us the trellis, if you like, on which our spiritual life can grow. And I love this because as a Christian, I want to grow. I don't want to stay put. I want to grow into my identity and become more like Jesus. And today we're looking at work and rest. A big part of our lives are spent in work of different kinds. Uh, and it can be natural to think about work as kind of a barrier to our spiritual growth, or at least sort of like a a non-contributing part of our life. You know, We kind of get home from work and then we can get all spiritual. But actually the message for today, the message for today is that our spiritual life and our work life are not enemies. And rightly seen, we shouldn't see our work and our spirituality as sort of separate or different or even warring parts of life, but instead we should see work as an integral part Of a well rounded spiritual rule of life. In fact, I discovered this week, um, I learned from um, uh, Pastor Guy Mason, shared with me um, that in the sixth century, right, um, Benedict's rule, so Saint Benedict wrote his own rule of life for the uh, monastic order that he founded. And he has in his rule of life a whole chapter devoted to work. Now, some people, I think, as monks who are devoted to being just spiritual all day, they wouldn't have much of a place for work. They should just be meditating and reading their Bibles and chanting. But actually, St. Benedict writes that idleness is an enemy of the soul. Therefore, the brethren, that is the monks, ought to be employed at certain times in laboring with their hands and at other times in holy reading. That's the rule of St. Benedict. And in fact, monks to this day often have uh, sort of part of their day set aside for work. I don't know if you know this, I like craft beer. Some of the best craft beer in the world is created by Trappist monks. Do you know this? They've been doing it for a thousand years. And they're very, very good at it. Some of the best uh, beer to this day is brewed by monks as part of their spiritual rule of life. At the same time, though, it is true that work can become a threat to our spiritual health. When does work become a threat to our spiritual health? Well, I think it can become a threat to our spiritual flourishing and growth when we don't approach our work through the lens of the gospel, when we don't uh, make choices which are in line with, with going with the grain of the values we read in the Bible. Or when our sense of purpose is out of whack. Maybe the company we're working for has a purpose that is misaligned with God's care for people in the world, or maybe we just can't see the point of what we're doing all day. Or maybe it's when our jobs rule our lives or dictate where we find our identity and happiness, when we make our career our defining anchor. When our sense of purpose in work, when all these things are out of whack, our balance between work and life can get out of alignment, we risk actually then becoming more exhausted. We risk illness we risk even burnout, and of course illness and burnout and, and, and um, those things are not good for our spiritual health, right? It's very hard to be healthy emotionally, physically, or spiritually when we are getting our work out of whack. Uh, it's interesting, uh, during and after COVID, the big fear was that people would just have like a mass exodus from the workforce. They would just give up and, and quit, and that didn't really happen. What did happen is a lot of people just burned out in their jobs. A lot of people just came under increasing strain, particularly in sectors like medicine and education, which were really um, under particular stress. A research from the University of Melbourne published recently showed that uh, while people didn't quit in mass numbers, people are suffering from burnout in large numbers. They're feeling exhausted still, unwell physically, emotionally, and a lot of us are seriously thinking about quitting, especially in the prime worker demographic of 25 to 55. And I think what's interesting about this research is it's not just that we're working too long hours, although some of us are, but it's not just that we're working too long, it's actually that we have lost our sense of purpose, our sense of where our work fits with who we are as human beings. And so uh, today's message really that a good rule of life A good rule of life will have space both for work and for rest. And not just because you need both for survival, although surviving is good. We need both these things to have a well-rounded spiritual life. And my hope is that we will all take work and rest more seriously because of today's passage. So part one, let's look at work. And the job sites and the career counsellors will tell us to look within for our work job satisfaction. What job gives me the highest pay, the best lifestyle, the best conditions, uh, the best alignment with my personal mission, goals, gifts, and passions. Find the job, so the careers counselling will tell you, that so expresses and actualizes myself that you wouldn't even have to pay me to do it. And if, look, can I say, if you find a job like that, well done. <laughs> Great. But for most of us, that's not the reality. All right? For most of us, that is a recipe for being set up for despair. All right? Because we feel like we're just not hitting those targets in our, in our work. And I think this really matters because um, seeing how our work should belong in, in a well-rounded Christian life is one of the marks, actually, of resilient disciples some really interesting research that came out of the U.S. by a group called uh, the Barna Group, who do study these things. They studied what are some of the marks of Christians who thrive over the long term, right? What what sets aside Christians who do really well over the long term? One of the things they found is uh, having a sense of where God is in our work, being God-centered in thinking about the purpose of our work, having a sense of purpose, having a sense of calling, having a sense of integrity, In our work is actually one of the big markers over the long term. That's why it's important that we put work into our Christian rule of life. Uh, What do I mean by work, by the way? I should just pause. I've been using that word. What does it mean? Well, when I go to the office and I mark 30 Old Testament essays, that is obviously work. I'm getting paid for it. It's hard. It's rewarding, but it's work. Also, when I change nappies, that's work. When I stay home playing Lego with my son, for him, that's play. For me, it's work. (laughs) When you write reports, uh, when you produce group work assignments on your own for six people, (laughs) when you apply for jobs, when you attend job interviews, that's work. When you create something beautiful, true, and good, that is work. And so we need to see work in its broadest scope. We need to see work broadly, not just paid work outside the home. And we also need to understand that work is not some kind of necessary evil in this world. Though work is hard and is corrupted like everything by the fall. In fact, we were made to work. Do you know this? Back in the garden, the Lord creates uh, man and woman... He plants the garden, he creates humankind, and he gives them this calling, this purpose. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So actually, we were made to work. It's part of the creator's, the manufacturer's design is that we should work. Long before sin entered the world and work became hard, as soon as the man and later the woman is created, the man has a job, a purpose given by God, no less, to tend the garden, to bring order and beauty to what God has made. God could have made it perfect, but he didn't. He made it good. Then he left there some things for us to do to take part in his work. And it's really interesting, in that passage there, those words, work and serve, are actually words that are used together later on in the story to describe what priests do in a temple. So they're kind of worshipy words. And so our work and our worship are not different things. Our work and our worship are actually the same thing. Just as you might serve in the temple as a priest in in Israel, so all humankind serve in the great temple of earth as workers, doing our job that God has given us and worshipping him through it. And so that's actually why when we work well, we reflect something of God, the worker. You know, this God is actually the original worker. We are in his image, we are given that great dignity of working like he works originally. Now, God, you might think, doesn't really need to work, but he does. Actually, the Bible says that God is the original worker. Verse 8, just a bit before the one I had read. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God works, he creates goodness and abundance and beauty on earth, but his work is not limited just to the startup phase of the world. It actually continues throughout sustaining and providing for all of us on earth. I love Psalm 104. It describes how God makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, to bring forth food from the earth and wine. And that gladdens the hearts of humans. Oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts. Uh, friends, I just love the reminder that wine and food are gifts from our Creator, our worker, God. One of the great miracles of this planet, all right, one of the great miracles of this planet is that if you leave dead plants alone for long enough, they will either make wine or sourdough, or beer, which surely is proof that there is a God and Melbourne (laughs) is close to his heart, right? It's it's nothing short of a miracle, but that is what God does. He sustains the world. Nothing happens except by his sustaining power. And I also love that because of this, our work and his work are are the same thing. Right, you know, It's a great thing that we work alongside our Heavenly Father in his work of providing food and abundance for this planet. Now, in that psalm, he makes grass grow for the cattle, right? They just get to eat it off the ground. But we get given the dignity of helping him with our own food. He makes plants for people to cultivate, says the psalm. All right? God feeds the animals directly, but we take part in our Heavenly Father's work the great church reformer Martin Luther had an amazing insight into this he said that God is milking the cows God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid in those days they thought that only really the the priests were really doing God's work and Luther because he read the Bible so actually God's milking the cows so that's God's work whatever your job is It is not just a job, it's a vocation. It's something that you're called, you're called to do, called to do with skill as part of God's work. Now years ago I used to work with uni students and around about this time of year as they were heading into end of year sort of essays and exams, they would look up from their textbook on advanced debentures or like concrete or something, whatever they were studying, And they would just look like this sense of like, what am I doing here? What is the point of this thing that I'm learning, I've studied for four years? I'm in too deep to get out, but what am I doing here? And they would actually kind of think, am I really serving God? Am I really serving God by studying this stuff? And I would say to them, well, I kind of talk them through this whole process, right? You know, God works to feed humans. It's in the Psalm, 104. Agreed? Yep. good. Well, he doesn't do it on his own, does he? You see, there's also the farmer who farms the crops, plants the seeds and and, and, um, uh, gets the crops out of the ground and and that's important, right? That's God's work. Yes, okay, the farmer, good. What about the contractor? The contractor who helps in the harvest, are they doing God's work? Oh yeah, I guess so. What about the truck driver who drives the crop from the farm to the distribution center? Are they doing God's work to get it to market? Well, yeah, I guess that's God's work. Well, what about the logistics managers and the buyers and the supply chain specialists who ensure that that happens and that the food ends up in the right place at the right time? Are they doing God's work? Well, what about the people who make sure each supermarket has the right amount of food for the people who wanna come by? Are they doing God's work? And I guess I said yes, they're doing God's work. And the retail workers who ensure that you get the food out of the supermarket, that's God's work, right? Yep, got it. What about the engineers? What about the engineers who planned that road that got the food from the ground to your mouth? Are they doing God's work? Yeah, absolutely. And so therefore the urban planners, the commercial real estate agents, the accountants, the bankers, the investors who ensured that that property and that road could be made, they're doing God's work too? Even the lawyers, yes. Right? Absolutely the people who make sure that there is a economy and a market and a labor force that is fair and that farmers can buy seed and sell crop in fair terms in their contracts so they can pay it back, absolutely the lawyers. If all these people are required to get you one apple, can you see how God's work is expressed through so many different functions? But a lot of the time, when I was sitting in a cubicle at a law firm as a paralegal, I couldn't see that. So actually sometimes what we need in our work is actually just to step back and go, yes, contracts make apples. You know? Because when you're actually giving the food to the people or getting them, that's easy to see. But we need to see how our work is God's work. The point is, unless your job is literally building poker machines or running pyramid schemes, you are doing God's work. So don't overthink it, just get on with doing it. Right? What you're called to do for God's glory and for the good of others, do with skill and perseverance. And you know, most of us probably won't find it so inherently fulfilling that we would do it anyway, I mean if that's you, good on you. But most of us, most of life is just answering boring emails in any job. And yet do it with skill and perseverance for the glory of God and for the good of people who you don't even know. I like what I like what Sky Jhani says. Our efforts to cultivate order, beauty, and abundance, like that. Order, beauty, abundance matter, both now and for eternity. A while ago, I was struck by what one of our church members, Tony, shared with me about his vocation as a software engineer. He said, being able to have an idea, play with it, and bring it to something that leads me to sit back and enjoy the God-given pleasure of being a creator, that's what gets him to work in the morning." And this is particularly important because work is hard a lot of the time. We don't always get to see how our efforts are creating good things. And so I just encourage you, as you make your rule of life, put aside some time just to get some purpose in there. When I come back from holidays, one thing I do is before I turn off my autoresponder email thingy, I just sit. And I just try to remind myself why I do my job. What's the point? Where, what, where do I fit in God's purposes in the world in my small way? And build in those daily, weekly, even yearly rhythms of focusing on the point. How work is worship of God for me? Another thing I do is I've, I've got a prayer chair in my office. It's just a normal chair. But I use it to pray at the start of each day, mostly because I can't really get peace and quiet at home when I'm getting the kids off to daycare in school. When I arrive at the office, I just I just arrive... 10, 15 minutes earlier, just to pray over that day, that my feeble efforts at replying to emails would somehow, God would use that for his work in the world to bring goodness and abundance and beauty into this world in a small way. And the great thing about that idea of work and worship is that ultimately, if it's God's work, then he can deal with it. I love this quote from George Verwa, who is um, American evangelist who died earlier this year. But he says, uh, there are times when I have a hundred letters on my desk, many of them about problems. And sometimes I can say, Lord, these letters, these telegrams are all yours. I'm going to bed. (laughs) Amen. Which brings us to the second part of our rule of life, this topic of rest. I mentioned before that God is the original worker, but actually God is the original rester as well. The idea of the Sabbath goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, when God uh, steps back and just admires what he's done over the last six days. And he blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, we know, theologically, God doesn't get exhausted. He doesn't get tired or weary. So why does he need to rest? Well, because rest is more than just physical kind of pausing to catch your breath. Think about it like this. Rest is more than a necessity. It's actually the the kind of the goal of our work in some ways. After a long week of battling a difficult problem, or after the victorious conclusion to a hard campaign, or on the final night of a successful production. What do you have to do, all right? What makes it all worthwhile? It's that moment of completion, of stepping back from what you've done, the successful campaign, the problem solved, the production put on, and cracking open a beer and going, yeah, we made it, we, I, we did that together. When that beer opens, you are entering your rest, not just stopping from work, but enjoying the fruits of your labor. And I think God rests a bit like a builder looking over a job well done with satisfaction, not because he's exhausted, but because he's reached his goal. There's a sense of triumph, like when Scotty Cam calls tools down at the end of an episode of The Block. And the contestants hug and breathe a sigh of relief. Like, I can't believe we made it. But we did. And this pattern of of work followed by rest is one that we, as God's mini-workers, actually are meant to follow. In the uh, Old Testament, God's people, Israel, were commanded even to mix up their weeks. Have one day set aside for rest. In Exodus chapter uh, 20... Remember, this is the Ten Commandments, right? So it's important. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall do no work. The Sabbath is not just, by the way, about stopping work so that you don't die from exhaustion, though... Not dying from exhaustion is important as well. It's more than that, though. It's also about being creatures in the image of God, just as God rests so we rest. Uh, because, here's the thing: life is about more than work. Right? We think it's unethical to buy eggs from chickens who just are in cages all day.? Right? God is into free-range humans who get out once in a while. See the fields, see the grass. We don't want to be caged humans. He wants us to be free-range humans. And for Israel, it's actually a lesson in what's important in life, that actually you're more than just a cog in an economic machine. You're a person. There's more to life than work. It's about trusting God. I mean, in Israel, they're subsistence farmers, basically. If you don't harvest at the right time, that seriously puts your life at jeopardy. And yet, they trust God in that in that one day of sub-optimal productivity. They trust God that there was enough food yesterday, there'll be enough food today. It's also for Israel, importantly, a sign that they're no longer slaves. When they were slaves in Egypt, the Egyptians did not give them a day of rest a week. But when God busts them out of slavery into his abundance and his freedom, they, they now serve a God who cares about their well-being and gives them a day off. And it's also for Israel about a day just to engage in worship with God. Now, they worshiped on every day, but this was a particular day for them to gather together and to worship. A symbol of gratitude to God and praise of who God is, a symbol of the prosperity that God gives, of wholeness. It becomes a symbol of so much more a symbol of wholeness and, and security from enemies, of peace. Of all that God's promised that they'll one day enjoy when they enter the promised land. Now, here's the thing I'm, I'm not Jewish. Some Christians are Jewish as well. I'm not. I'm what's called a Gentile Christian. So I'm not actually expected, I was never expected to take part in this Sabbath law as law, as a regulation for my life. This was particularly for God's people, Israel. So the way that we fulfill the Sabbath ceremony, it's important to say, is not by keeping Shabbat, according to the Old Testament, in that exact way. It's actually by trusting in Jesus, because he's the one who brings us into that wholeness and security and rest. You can look up Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 for more on that. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who, are, uh, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think about it. all that the rest symbolized for Old Testament Israel, we get in Jesus, The fact that you were made for relationship with your creator, made for worship with your creator, well, we worship in spirit and in truth in Jesus. The fact that you were made for peace and justice, well, in Jesus, all your sins are forgiven and you are reconciled to God and to each other. And the fact that you were made for abundance, not just abundance, but eternal life, well, in Jesus, you trust in Jesus, you live forever in abundance and security. So actually, for, for us, the, the main Sabbath that we do is, is by trusting in Jesus. Because the only way to these things, ultimately, is in Jesus. And I encourage you today, I don't know where all of us are at with Jesus, but please, if you are not a Christian, please hear Jesus' invitation to you, because it is to you. Come to me, or you are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus says, he will give you rest He will give you abundance and eternal life and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with your maker. You were made for more than work. You were made to know your maker and Jesus offers that. But for us as Christians, while the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus and is no longer regulation for us, I do believe it is revelation for us. It's not regulation for us, but it is revelation to us because it shows us in Israel's case, what it means to be human, to be a creature, to to need that. I mean, Jesus himself practiced the Sabbath perfectly. He held the Sabbath in highest esteem, but he made clear that the reason why we were given the Sabbath is not just so we could impress God with our holiness, but because we actually kind of need it. In Mark 2, he says the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. In other words, you're not made to fulfill the Sabbath. We gave you the Sabbath for you, for your good. Right? this is the manufacturer's instructions, right? This is how you're meant to work. You're not meant to work all the time. You weren't made to. And I think our rule of life needs to have some sort of Sabbath-like rest in it because our culture is so messed up on this point. Right, our, our pace as a culture is just go, go, go all the time. There's no rest. I mean, ironically, because we are so into pleasure and lifestyle, and yet it is almost impossible just to have some peace and quiet, some stillness, some sub-optimal productivity. We are wired for rest because we are made by the God who rests And I say this as someone who is very conscious that I'm not doing very well at this. My good friend Mark, who's in my gospel community, has been, shall we say, gently encouraging me in this point for a while now. He says he's uh, transformed his life. Getting the Sabbath really serious about his Sabbath has transformed his life such that he never wants to go back to not having a great Sabbath. He says he now works from a place of rest, doesn't just stop from work. In fact, the rest of his week is better because of his rest. And he shared with me this week um, uh, four elements of a Sabbath that I'd I'd like to share with you. He he gets these from John Mark Comer uh, and his four elements of Sabbath. The first thing is to stop. Just stop from whatever feels like work. And they'll be different for different people, right? Including chores, right? Including chores, Stop from whatever feels like work. Now, non-essential chores. Obviously, I mean, I've got small children. You have to feed them like at least once a day. I understand that, right? But stop as much as possible from the things that feel like work. Or in Steph, in my case, we just kind of, we, we both have a Sabbath together. So at least half the time we can give each other some time off. And the second is to rest, Not just not work, not be at work, but stop even thinking about work. Stop trying to solve problems on your day off, in your head, so then when you get back in the office you can fix them. But actually stop. The world will keep turning. As my dad likes to tell me, cemeteries are full of indispensable people. The world will be okay without me for a day. The third thing is just to delight. And this is the thing I think that has been helpful for me to, 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 to hear in this. It's not just what you're stopping, it's what you're making space for. Delight in others and bring delight to them. We don't want this to be a selfish thing, do we? We don't want to make it a selfish me time. It's not me time. Right? But it is delighting in others and bringing them delight. A friend of mine, Nikki, describes it as a should-free day. No shoulds. No shoulds today. Just delight. Maybe it's enjoying nature. Maybe it's just going to the park and not being rushed to get somewhere else. Maybe it's just cooking something really slowly so that your family can enjoy it. And the final element, which is actually the heart of it, is to spend some time in worship. Have a moment of stillness in that day. Space to engage with God and not be in a hurry to go somewhere else. And that could be all sorts of things in that space. Maybe it's praise of God. Just thank you for this. All of this. Maybe it's just spending some time as a creature thanking him for his goodness. And maybe moving on to ask or even complain about other things in life. Or maybe just having some time to enjoy being a creature who's known and loved by its creator. When I was a kid, my parents had a pretty hard and fast rule of life. We wouldn't do birthday parties. We wouldn't work on the Sunday. Um, now, my parents worked extremely extremely hard and still do, but they would prioritize not doing that work on the Sunday. I still remember, even like before exams in high school, Right, we, just wouldn't, we wouldn't study on the Sunday. We'd just trust that if it wasn't in our head on Saturday, we were never going to learn it. Right? And just take that time as a family together to pause, to go to church, to, to pause and go to church and spend time with family, to enjoy the sunshine. This was before we moved to Melbourne. Um, and just be, be a family. That's not true. We, we have lots of sun. I recognise that what this looks like will be difficult and different for different people, will be different for different people. Uh, there are those of us who are shift workers, uh, those of us with 24-7 care responsibilities. Um, but I can control what I can control. One thing that I'm learning to do is control my schedule, work out where, I, if it really needs to be done, then when I can do it to make sure I have that day off. All right, that for Steph and me, that's Saturday is really the only day that we can um, take off together, because Steph works Sundays, I work Monday to Friday. And one thing that a friend of mine, Graham, has got me doing is actually I start my Sabbath at sundown on Friday. It's very biblical, actually. So that I'm not, I can enjoy that night without thinking about work the next day. Turn off the notifications. Turn off my phone. Turn off the email. You can even make your phone not work on Saturdays or Sundays or whenever your day off is. And focus in my thoughts on the goodness of God, and all that we have to thank Him for. Uh, There's lots more that I could say about this, obviously, and it's very different in different stages of life. So I do encourage you, I commend to you the Faith and Work event uh, next Monday, the 28th of August, to work out how our rhythms of work and rest fit together in our different life packages. But as we work and rest, I just want this to be our final thought. As we work and rest please remember that we are taking part in the worship of Jesus in both those sides of that coin. As we work, we reflect a little bit of the God who is a worker, who brings order and beauty and abundance to this world. And we get to take part in that work. Even in the boring jobs, we take part in his labor. And then we rest well as Christians. Trusting that God is in control and taking that time to reset our vision on God and our ultimate rest in Jesus. Now, friends, there may be questions at this point. I'm going to encourage you now just to stand and stretch for 30 seconds uh, and text in some questions if you've got, and, I, and then we're going to answer one or two of them.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Andy. We've got some questions that have come through, so let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. Question one. I love my job and I always strive to do my very best, but it often leaves me to neglect my social life and friends. How can I better incorporate God into my work to find a balance?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I Look, I um, uh, say this full disclosure. I have often uh, found myself in a place where this is the same, where I do feel like I'm. Um, I tend towards overwork. I think everyone has sort of a, a disposition one way or the other uh, in terms of their um, flaws. That's mine. Um, and so I think it's really helpful just to try to... I mean, there's no one-size-fits-all to this question. Um, but for me, getting underneath the surface of why I'm struggling to have a balance between work um, and the rest of life is is really helpful. Um, so the first thing I'll say is... Um, uh, Are we seeing where our purpose in work fits with God's purposes? Are we aligned in our purposes? Um, Are we seeing the the goodness, the abundance, and the beauty which God wants in the world, which is producing the world in our work? Um, And is that our main motivation? Because if that's right at the center, then it's much easier to make good decisions um, either side. So that's the first thing I say. The second is just to to understand a little bit about um, why um, the balance seems to be um, kind of off for me. Now, I don't know your situation for, for me at various stages in life. Sometimes it was just I was in a job which was too much. Right? It was just an industry which had a culture um, which was just uh, people worked too much. And the pressure then as a young employee was to actually get on board with that culture so that I could get ahead. Uh, one of the great things about working for God is that you're more free... Um, you know, once you see yourself as a worker for God in any industry, you're more free to go, do you know what? Um, Actually, I'm going to draw the line here and things will be okay. Um, And if that, um, uh, yeah, if if I'm putting pressure on myself to keep up with people who have unhealthy habits, I'm having that sense of differentiation between, well, do you know what? This isn't my whole life, even if it is yours. Um, So I found that really helpful. But the other thing is sometimes the pressure came from inside because I felt like the whole world was on me. And if something wasn't perfect at the end of the day, I had to stay and fix it. And I realized I was basically um, working as an atheist, theologically, uh, even though I was in ministry at various points, I was actually functionally working as if God's not working as well. Um, and so for me, it was just saying, you know what, if I go home and this sermon is a bit half-baked on Friday night, and I have to preach a half-baked sermon on Sunday morning, it's okay, <laughs> right? it, it, I, I don't have to impress you all. It can just be a little bit average sometimes and the Lord will still do his work. Okay, and so whatever, I just think, understand, I don't know if that's your situation, so I don't want to be prescriptive, but understanding why am I pushing beyond what's healthy? Um, Is it extrinsic, in which case we just need to be prepared to um, kind of draw lines for our own well-being, or is it actually coming from inside, in which case maybe just getting a bit of a healthy alignment for me was um, a big part of it.
1: That's great, thank you. All right, we'll go to the next question. What would you say to someone that has fatigue and is not able to work as much as they feel called to?
0: Yeah, that's, um, thanks for that question. Um, and I think it's, it's really important that we keep in mind that we all have different life packages entering into this question. And what I mean by that is, is different physical situations, um, different capacities, naturally, but also due to injury sometimes um, and illness. Um, and also just different other things, right? When I was uh, a single man working, I could, I don't know if it was healthy, I could work 60 hours a week or 70 or 80 sometimes. Um, but now, like, they will sell my children if I don't pick them up at 3.30. Right? So I just have a hard line in the sand. Right? And so we, just have, we all have different life packages. And one of those things is understanding that just some, like, the ability to work, power to work, and leisure to rest, as we thank God for in the Anglican prayer book, uh, is, is a gift. And some of us just have a different um, life package when it comes to illness. Um, and that's, that's not your fault. Right? That's not like you're less valuable as a person. Yeah. Right? And so if you have four hours a day of meaningful work that you can do, and the rest of the time has to be spent um, going to doctor's appointments or resting, or, that's the package that God has given you. And don't feel like you're less a worker or less valuable as a person because of that. So I'd, I would gently push back on the, what you feel called to do. I understand feeling limited is hard, but that's part of being a human, actually. We all have limits. We all need to sleep. Uh, we all need to stop work at some point. So i just encourage you in that, um, that that is part of being human. And there's a great lesson in that for us all, actually.
1: That's great. Well, let's go one more question. Sure, let's do it. Um, if your workplace pushes to adopt actions which are against biblical teachings, what should you do in addition to praying?
0: Yeah, great, great question. I think, um, uh, yeah, it's it's often um, issues of integrity kind of come up in workplaces because workplaces have cultures and they have um, whole industries have cultures Um, and I I remember working in um, as a paralegal before I went into ministry in in the legal industry Um, and yeah like sometimes there were just people who just had this like weird worldview that like you know you'd say that's illegal you can't do it and the client would say yeah, but what's the fine? We'll just pay the fine and it'll be good. Right? And it's like, no, it's not a tax. It's actually against the law. Like, what do we, like, you can't be immoral. That's not a thing. Um, and what do you do when you're a very, very junior person in that situation? Um, so I do think that's uh, a really pressing issue for a lot of us. And a lot of times it's actually quite grey, isn't it? Uh, so very few of us are called to like shoot someone dead in our jobs. But there are systems and there are structures which work against prosperity, goodness, and beauty in the world, and we have to work out what we can do. So um, that's the the kind of preface to say, um, I think it depends a lot on the circumstances, and it depends a lot about where you are in that system and what choices you have. Uh, And that's why being in a group of people who are in that same industry maybe, or even uh, adjacent industries, who understand the problems, it's really helpful to talk with them. So I had older lawyers who knew, no, nah, that's stupid, don't do that, or, you know, you don't listen to them, don't do that, or actually, you know, here's a way of looking at that, here's a way through. They could actually speak into me and and give me a bit of a sanity check on the um on, on what we were being asked to do. And so I think talking to older, wiser Christians in that field is really helpful, and outside that field, right? Because sometimes everyone just does it and they don't question it. Um, so I think, yeah, talking to other people, working out a course of action. Look, it may be that you just you know, you get fired. But better to get fired for doing the right thing than to get fired for doing evil. But, yeah, I don't think it'll uh, often or always necessarily come to that. Yeah, but thank you for the great question.
1: Awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Andy. Can we give Andy a round of applause for that? Awesome. Well, Church, let's stand. Uh, We're going to pray and then go into a time of worship. Uh, So let me pray for us. Father God, uh, we thank you for this word today. Uh, Lord, would you help all of us in whatever package of life you have given us uh, to work well. Uh, May our work and how we go about our work reflect you to others. And Lord, we just pray that we would trust you enough that we can rest well as well. Uh, To know that uh, you are the provider of all things. Um, that uh, the runnings of this world is not dependent on us and on our, on our shoulders, Lord, but that you've got this and it's a privilege for us to just be involved. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us all to put regular rhythms of rest into our lives as well. Lord, we thank you so much for Andy in this message that um, yeah, you've spoken through him today. We thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast.